Lamar Jackson trying to get his contract from the Baltimore Ravens. Jay Glazer last night during the pregame portion of the Ravens-Cardinals preseason game said that the Ravens have offered Lamar Jackson more than Kyler Murray. The issue, obviously, is the Deshaun Watson contract. He got $46 million fully guaranteed for five years, $230 million fully guaranteed for Watson. Murray's got 46.1 on a five-year extension, two years tacked onto it. It becomes a different deal altogether. So you could easily get Lamar Jackson to 46.2 and say you're paying him more than Kyler Murray. But if it's not all guaranteed at signing and you absorb the 2022 season at 23 million, I did the math last night. It works out to something like 42 million a year on a six-year deal if you give him five years, 46.2 million on top of the one that he still has left. And so far, he hasn't taken it. And look, as, as, as Glazer said, it's an uphill battle. And it is. It is. Because Lamar Jackson is representing himself. He's trying to get ready for the season. Teams got the warning last week from the league. If a guy represents himself, the only person you should talk to is the player. No one else. No family members. No, no agents. If he's representing himself, it's just him. That makes it even harder to get a deal done. I still think they're not going to get a deal done. But... There's 20 days left, and maybe at some point Lamar Jackson recognizes I got to take the best offer they give me because I don't want to continue to carry this injury risk. I, I just that, that's where I look at it. I mean, I just wouldn't have you know plain and simple have the marbles to turn it down. I mean, um, it's something that you know I, I heard weeks ago that he's been offered more guaranteed money in the history of the sport other than Deshaun Watson, and and of course that you know contract is weird to say the least. Okay, but. Uh, that's where I just go, wow, are you going to really leave? You know, I, I don't know what the exact number is, 180, 190, 200 million guaranteed on the table with the style of football that you do play, Lamar Jackson. I would certainly be in your corner going, no, please don't. Let's just take this, all right, and move on with life. And like you said, put the injury risk back onto the, the Baltimore Ravens, uh, especially with the way you play. And you've already taken some hits in your career. You know, so that that's where I worry about him. I really root for him that, you know, as far as staying healthy and being the Lamar Jackson, remember, come on, who's more fun to watch, you know, on a, on a Sunday or a Monday night than Lamar Jackson running around doing crazy stuff. He's awesome. So uh, it, it, you know, the, the thing that's encouraging, and I'm with you, I don't think it gets done, but, you know, just watching the game last night, it, it sounds like it's not affecting much as far as his, his practice habits, his concentration as far as the football aspect, I mean, everybody spoke so highly of him, the fact he's so focused and locked in. So that's a good thing. But, man, I just, yes, I just wish he'd take the money or at least get an agent. I know that. Well, and he's locked in because this is contract year, so he knows. Yeah, he he's knows. ready. If they're, if they're not going to give him what he wants, there's only one way to get what he wants, and that's go out there and have his best season ever. The problem is he could get injured along the way. There could be things that he doesn't control. All it takes is one fluke hit, and there goes that contract. The Ravens won't want to give it to you. No one will want to give it to you if you're not healthy enough to play, if there are questions about when you'll be 100% or anything close to it. And even then, who knows? You may have to do a one-year deal and prove yourself. You get yourself into the Jameis Winston vortex, where it's short-term contract, short-term contract, until you finally get a chance to prove yourself again. That could be where Lamar Jackson is if he ends up suffering a serious injury. And I feel bad even saying it. I hate to be, yeah. oh, you jinxed him. But we know, we know what the sport entails. And we know that of all the guys out there, Lamar Jackson is the quarterback who is at the highest risk because of the way that he plays. And I, you know, I've had conversations. I've been doing this 20-plus years now. You talk to different agents from time to time about deals. And you try to kind of gently say, well, why don't you, you know, maybe. Some are saying that many are saying, many are saying you could have gotten more than you did. And there's a point where you have to, you have to just put the sword down. And you have to say, look, what they're offering, when you look at this offer, do General, I want more? Yeah. Can I get more? But would I tell my son not to take this? And that's the litmus test I've heard time and again. Yeah, yeah, you know what? I'd like to get more. But if this was offered to my son and I understood the risks of not taking it, I wouldn't be able to tell him to not take it. I'd have to tell him to take it. E even though I think I can get him more, I, I, I'd have to tell him to take this. Uh, yeah, I, this is generational, life-changing money. This is the type of money where – 
your great-grandkids are going to be, you know, they're going to be good because of what you do, as long as he doesn't buy too many more gold chains, I mean, which was hilarious last night. Well, Mark they Andrews. Hold their value. If they Mark, hold their value, it's better than buying You're a right. car. You're right. It is. I'm just having fun. I really – but Mark Andrews yeah. with one that he bought. I mean, but yes, I mean, that's where it just – woo. My stomach gets in a knot thinking about it. It does. Uh, so I, I, I hope, I hope some, you know, he, someone can come to the realization, his mother, himself, whatever here, that, okay, you know, maybe it's not the deal I wanted. Maybe I didn't get every last dollar I wanted. But still, what, okay, you, you lost out on $25 million guaranteed. What, what can't you not get with the $190 million that you're going to get? Plus, again, the rest of the contract, you're he, you know, hopefully going to get all of that money at some point. You know, franchise quarterbacks, what we're seeing for the most part, this type of player, they're seeing the full capacity of the contracts. I mean, really, I, I can't think of too yes. many that are not, right? The league is set well, up to protect them, but he plays a dangerous style, and it is a little different. But if anybody doesn't, it's him. That's the problem. That is the problem. And And, and – and that, that's, you know, you don't need to guarantee franchise quarterback contracts because you're not going to, if you're the team that recognizes he's a franchise quarterback, you don't just suddenly become not a franchise quarterback. Once you have reached that level, you're earning the money and it doesn't need to be guaranteed. You're going to keep getting it. But for Lamar Jackson, there's that risk of an injury that would dramatically affect his availability well, or his is his performance, and the Ravens possibly would want to move on. Do you think, like, right? yeah, I, I know, they they could. You're right. And Well, I mean, I wonder sometimes, like, does Dak Prescott embolden him? Like, Dak Prescott's foot was pointing, you know, south towards Mexico, and it was, it's, it's oh, okay, here, here's still, you know, $45 million or $40 million a year. So that's that was a gruesome part to where he still got paid, and I don't know. You know, again, I think Lamar Jackson does not get quite the credit he deserves for the thrower and his ability to make plays in the pocket. But, yes, it would certainly hurt his ability to escape and, and make crazy plays that way. Here's the reality, though, and this is where a seasoned, effective, and competent agent would be able to explain the differences to Lamar Jackson. Dak Prescott was a fourth-round pick. Dak Prescott had finished his rookie contract, he had done one year under the franchise tag, and he had the Cowboys over a barrel in year two of the franchise tag because there's no way they were going to do it a third time. Yeah, that's so right. So year two was it. You're getting a deal done, or this guy's becoming an unrestricted free agent next year, and if you want to keep him, you're going to have to compete with everyone else who may want him, and the Cowboys didn't want to do it, so they did a four-year, $160 million deal. And the way it's negotiated, I think after this season, they better start thinking about redoing it. Deshaun Watson, a once in a generation set of facts, maybe even more rare than that, where he's on a team that's already paid him. He wants out. They want to move him. You throw this off field stuff on top of it. And then he's kind of sort of not really exonerated, but it creates a land rush of four teams to try to get him. And the first team he tells, get the hell out of here, gets desperate and puts together a package that he can't refuse. Yeah. Well, Lamar Jackson's never going to be in that situation. Those facts are never going to, especially all of the facts. I mean, it's never going to happen again. But the idea that Lamar Jackson's going to be in a spot where he's he's got four teams at the table, he tells one, get the hell out of here, and it reacts by saying, let's give this guy the best contract. But is that with fair? More guaranteed money. Is that well, fair? No, you know? but because it just, I know. It is. I know. It's not fair, but it is. I know, because I, I understand where you can be like, well, hey, that's the market now. You know, you talk to one of your oligarchs well, over there. He right. screwed it up. That's right. I know. That's, that's where right. I'm a little it's, – it's, That's the response. That is the response. If you have an agent, right. it's easier to articulate that. It's yeah. easier to say, hey, hey, you hey. know – we know how this works. Yeah, Watson ain't going the, the, the to the playoffs keeps going up. every year like I yeah. am. He didn't win the MVP like I right. did. Yeah, I don't care how it came to be. Yeah, it is. Yes, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I know if the Browns are stupid. It doesn't matter if they were, you know, drinking beer for the twelve o'clock Matthew Berry show. It doesn't matter. <laughs> right. It doesn't matter how it got there. Yeah, it's there. And that applies. That applies more broadly than football. The exactly. market's always changing, it does. and doesn't matter how it got there. It's there. Right. Right. It's like there. oh hey, twenty million dollars for somebody to announce a football game. $20 million. That, $20 million. That's oh, crazy. Now oh, there's a guy making $37 million. He doesn't even announce a damn game yet. Right. So, uh, the, yeah. yeah, I don't know. That's exactly. The reality is that's where it is. 
And they, they right. So that makes and that's very why. And again, I'm not taking anything away from Lamar Jackson. Maybe he can make that argument on his own. I could have never made that argument at 25 years old, 26 years oh, old, especially neither. when my focus is football. Yeah, you need somebody who can say to Steve Bashotti, Eric DaCosta, John Harbaugh, whoever. No, no, I don't care. I know that you're trying to tell me how this Deshaun Watson thing is once in a generation. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It happened. That's the bar now. And if you want Lamar Jackson under contract, you got to give him the same thing, plus a little bit. That's just how it works. Sorry, take it up with your, your business partner, Jimmy Haslam, who decided to cross a boundary that everyone else had refused to cross. Yeah. So I agree with you. I agree with you. It, it, it shouldn't matter. But it's hard without an agent to make that point as fervently and convincingly as Lamar Jackson otherwise could. By the way, by the yeah. way, I, I, and I, I, you know, I think sometimes when, when you're on live TV, you, you can misspeak. You can say postseason instead of preseason like I did earlier. Kurt Menefee last night on the Fox pregame with Sean Payton and Jay Glazer from director's chairs on the, on the sideline of the State Farm Stadium. Menifee said that Lamar Jackson's gained 25 pounds this offseason. It's like I about fell out of my chair. 25 pounds? He hasn't gained 25 pounds. It's more like 10 or 12. I don't know if he just misspoke, but it, but it turned into a – I don't think he misspoke because then Sean Payton reacted to it saying, you know, mix in a salad sometimes. You're getting a little bit too big. There's a point where you're too big as a quarterback – but there's a big difference between 25 and 10 or 12. And yeah. He went to the weight room. He, he put on some lean muscle mass. That's what he's trying to do. Right. It's not 25 pounds. I immediately texted someone who would know. It's like, is this 20? Did he put on 25 pounds? No, he didn't put on 25 pounds. Well, it's 10 or 12 pounds. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, 25 is, is enormous. Now, I will say in his little interview on the sideline, uh, you know, who the, who's the damn sideline reporter now there? I'm blanking on his name. He used to be with ESPN. Tom Rinaldi. Thank Tom Rinaldi. Way to go. He, he did say to Lamar, you've put on 18 pounds. So, you know, that, again, oh, that, I missed that one. that's significant. You know, and yeah. Lamar didn't go, he didn't correct him. It is significant, certainly. You know, but, but again, Lamar has been that wiry, skinny guy where I think he's naturally ripped and whatever else and – who knows what he weighed at the end of the year last year when he was hurt and maybe couldn't work out. So maybe it's from there as compared to maybe what what might have been at the start of the preseason last year. Um, but, hey, it's a guy that, you know, needs a little armor on him like we talk about. And as long as it's not affecting his speed and all of that, then, then you know, go for it. Certainly. He's a freak of nature. He's probably one of those guys that doesn't need to work out or lift too much weight to put weight on. But what I always do worry about a little is, hey, Lamar Jackson's body was intended to be, you know, a certain size. Like, you know, I, I sit here and I, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but think about Zach Wilson. Oh, he looks beefy. You know, he looks great. Oh, you know, well, you know what beefy got him? He stuck his foot in the ground with nobody touching him and his knee gave out. And those are the things I worry about at times when, when I hear guys, oh, he's trying to get too big. Well, is the rest of his body ready to be that big when he's got to make these cuts and all of that? But I would bet you he gets more and more shape as we go along here. But he certainly looks thicker. Him and Trevor Lawrence are battling it out for the thickest quarterback necks yes. I've ever seen in history. The Takeo Spikes Award. They're <laughs> right. both. I mean, they're both right. neck and neck, pun intended, in the running to have the Takeo Spikes gigantic neck. And uh, you noticed it recently with Lawrence. And uh, I, I, I noticed it in some of the pictures that, that I've seen recently of Lamar Jackson. I mean, he's hit the weights. He's put on weight. I worry about his ability to have the same burst. Yeah, I hear you. You know, there's a certain point where – and I know that – I remember when, remember when David Boston just like – Oh, I remember. Showed up, and it's like, did, did this guy eat David Boston? Like, where's <laughs> David Boston, you know? But, but there was a thought that, well, if it's all muscle, you'll still have your speed and explosion. I'm, I'm – I'm, I'm fairly confident there's a point where it becomes counterproductive. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, too. Yeah, I mean, David Broston was, he was, again, another guy that I, I had a little time with in Tampa. It was obsessive. He was obsessive about his body. I mean, you know, no carbs, working out, everything. It was like a science experiment to a degree. But, yeah, was it absolutely the best for him at wide receiver? I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know. And, and hopefully this is good for Lamar. I, I have a hard time thinking that he won't shed a few of these pounds as we get closer and he's running around more. And then, of course, as the season goes, you can't quite lift the same way and do all that to where I bet you week three he's seven, eight pounds bigger than normal instead of maybe the 15 pounds uh, bigger than he is right now. 
With the collective bargaining agreement that was finalized in March of 2020, there has been a trend away from holdouts and an embrace of the hold-in. The player gets the best of both worlds. He shows up so he's not fined, but he doesn't practice until he gets the contract that he wants. And one of the things Chris and I have been talking about ever since this first emerged, at some point, you're not going to work out the deal. At some point, the team's going to say to the player, you're here. We'll if we're not going to work something out, grab your helmet and get on the field. And that has happened in Chicago. Here's Roquan Smith from over the weekend explaining why he has decided to play under the terms of his fifth-year option without a long-term contract. He showed up. He held in. The hold-in is over. Here he is on his failure to get a deal with the Bears and his decision to go ahead and play. I thought it was it was very distasteful, to say the least. Um wasn't what I anticipated, nor did I like what I expected from the situation. But, you know, I'm grateful for the uh, fans, all the loyal fans and everyone, that uh, the players as well in the locker room and the city of Chicago that uh, stood behind me throughout this process and means a lot to myself. Um, but now I'm just shifting my focus to the um, season and more so just focused on being the best teammate I can be um, to those guys in the uh, locker room. Uh, it's my last year of my deal. Uh, and, hey, I'm just going to take it, run with it, bet on myself like I've always done. And the negotiations are um, over right now. So it's more so I'm just focused on the season, going out there, being the best bear I can be because I owe that to the guys in the locker room and to the city and the um, all the uh, loyal fans out there. I see myself at a, a number, and they see me at a number, and it was, hey, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't agree. We can agree to disagree, but, hey, I would never accept a bad deal. Like I pretty much said, I would never accept a deal that I don't feel like is worth what I'm worth. And that's fine. He's got every right to do that. I just wonder who's giving him advice on turning down the offer that the Bears would have made. And I spent some time over the weekend trying to figure out what the Bears' last best offer was. I'm not sure they ever got to the point where they put it in writing, put it on the table gotcha. because of the communication issues that you have when, number one, a guy represents himself, and number two, the non-NFLPA certified agent named St. Omni is the one who is supposedly trying to negotiate with the Bears, maybe through email burner accounts. I don't know how that was happening, but that all blew up last week because St. Omni was calling multiple other teams trying to get trade interest going at a time when the Bears had not authorized any effort by Roquan Smith to trade himself anywhere. So it was tampering and it was violation of the rules as to who you can and can't communicate with. It was a CBA issue. And it, it makes it impossible, I think, to really get to the point where you can do the analysis we talked about earlier. What's the best offer that you're walking away from? Well, if it's my son, I would have him take that deal. And when you consider the position that Roquan Smith plays, the initiator of the car crashes, a guy who, who has a high risk of getting injured, you know what you want, but here's what they're offering, or here's what they would offer, and it's a hell of a lot better than carrying the risk at $9.735 million this year. And he says it's the last year of his deal. It's not because they could franchise tag him yeah. once or twice. He's three seasons away from true free agency when you get whatever it is that you want, when you get someone to overpay you, because we see it all the time in March. But that's three more seasons he's got to get through. Yeah. He's got to be healthy and he's got to be effective or he's never going to get that opportunity, Chris. No, I, I know. You're right. It's it's dangerous. It's a dangerous game he's playing. I mean, it is. And he is a car crash middle linebacker. I, you're, I've heard nothing, you're right, as far as, numbers or anything like that. I bow to what we heard on Ryan from Ryan Poles, the GM there a few weeks ago. You know, he made a comment, you know, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but you know, it was up there top market type of deal, top of the market type of deal. Inside linebackers, you know, Shaquille Leonard of the Colts, Fred Warner, right? They're making the most as far as those type of guys are considered. You know, then it's CJ Mosley at seventeen million dollars. He certainly deserves more than CJ Mosley as far as average per year. He deserves to be up there in that Fred Warner, Shaquille Leonard, you know, linebacker that's not a pass rusher type of money. He does. I, I think he does. But, man, it just – where Lamar and the Ravens seems like everything is cool and it's all good and we're still going to, you know, be the Ravens and kick ass and be an awesome football team. 
This one just seems like it's not going in the right direction. Like there's real bitterness here where I, it's, it's like, uh, even though they might, you know, have, they have the ability to franchise them. Like you're talking about, I, I feel like this is one where they might be like, all right, we, we forget it. Like, you know, we, we, we don't, we want volunteers, not hostages. This is not good for the karma of the building, the locker room, any of that. It, it seems like it's kind of crossed that line there to where, it's not cool between player and the organization, and that's unfortunate. And I'm, you know, interested to see how this all plays out this year with those two. Raises the possibility of a tag and trade after the season, right. and, and and look, there's still a possibility of a trade during the season if if things aren't going well. If Roquan Smith is just not really into it because he feels like he's been disrespected, he feels like he didn't that's get what the I would worry about. Should get. Right. And he's dealing with. You know, the story you tell all the time exactly. about Brandon Marshall is he was closing in on the completion of his rookie deal in Denver. I got to get through these final games of the season healthy, and if I don't, there goes the money that I've earned. Yes. So that, that's that got to be playing on Roquan Smith's mind as well as he gets ready to initiate car crash after car crash in a 17-game regular season. Agreed. Uh, you know, I, I just think when, when you're in a situation like this and it's not, you know, oh, hey, my shoulder's a little sore on Wednesday, I'm, I'm not playing this week. You know, it's you know probably would play ninety nine you know percent of the time, but you know this is a type of situation where I don't think you're gonna get you know all in Roquan Smith, and you know that's troublesome, especially for a new coach Matt Eberflus and he's a defensive coach. The middle linebacker is so important in that system. I mean, he just came from a place with Shaquille Leonard. I mean, it's it's rooted in its Seattle base. It's they're looking for their their Bobby Wagner. And this guy has the skill set to do that. I, I think he really fits the scheme in a lot of ways. So, um, yeah, it's unfortunate. And, again, it's just another example of I just uh, – the agent. I just wish he would get an agent. Um, but but I hope Roquan stays healthy and kicks butt, and hopefully he can make this money up uh, later on in time. With a good agent, this could be negotiated fairly quickly. You've got the $9.735 million for this year plus the 17th game check. That gets overlooked a lot. That's another little kicker on top of it. Next year, you try to project what the franchise tag is going to be for the linebacker position, and he's fortunate because outside and inside are all one. It's 18.7 this year. Next year, maybe it'll be 20. Mm. I mean, you're up to about $30 million fully guaranteed at signing, which is a fair approximation of what he'd be looking at the next couple of years. And the question is, how much more do you put on top of it guaranteed at signing now? Do you put in some per-game roster bonuses? It's not all that complicated to work out a deal that would be fair to him. There's just a point where he has to recognize, and this is the biggest challenge. You're not an unrestricted free agent. It's a different world when you're not an unrestricted free agent. What you could get on the open market doesn't matter because you're not on the open market. It's a different analysis. And and that that's where you need an agent who who speaks the truths to the client. I think that's what he may not have. You know, if you've got somebody who is just boosting your notion of this is what I'm worth, you're never going to get a deal done. You need the agent who can say, Roquan, I understand your frustration, but here's here's how it works, and this is what I can get you, and here's the risk you're taking going out there every game and initiating these car crashes. I, I, I can put you in a much better position than you are now, and the Bears are willing to do it. And, and again, that's why it's important to have. And I, I, look, I, I'm not saying any agent. You need a good agent. You need somebody who understands these nuances, these angles, and how to get it done. All right. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, Roquan Smith gets through the season healthy, and then he's either tagged or tagged and traded or gets his long-term deal with the Bears next year. When we return, we will hear what some coaches had to say about their young quarterback performances in week two of the preseason. More. And uh, plenty more beyond that. Well, yeah. good close. Good job yeah, there. Great wow. way. Wow, way, to, way to crash the plane. <laughs> I know. Shut up. <laughs> really happy with Tua um, because you know he's been having such a such a good camp, um, just in his development and ownership of the offense. And I, you know, I didn't. I was very hopeful that. Um, he would be the same guy on game day. You know, it was my first opportunity with him, and he executed the the really everything that we asked him to do. He was um, he, his ownership of the offense, his command of the players was real good. He distributed the ball well. There's a couple times that he got to three in his progression, um, you know, and he he adjusted with the with the defense. They kind of they kind of came out and. Um, 
you know, weren't matching personnel, and that wasn't something that in the preseason you necessarily expect nor prepare for. Didn't bother him in the slightest. Um, so I was happy with his performance, um, and uh, I, it, it was something to build upon um, moving forward uh, that the team really was pumped to see. That is Mike Maximum Chill McDaniel. I listen to him and I just get very relaxed and no stress and how amazingly different he is than any NFL coach we have ever seen. Tony Dungy, I guess, would be the closest. He was low-key and relaxed in a different way. Right. With McDaniel, it's kind of a hipster in a good way. I don't mean that derisively like stupid hipster doofus Kramer. I mean kind of a kind of a cool hipster, nothing really stresses him out. It's just a hell of an experiment to see if that personality works in an NFL locker room. I think it does, and I hope it does. And it's just it's just fun to have somebody so different than what we've ever seen and heard before. Well, maybe it's what the doc just what the doctor ordered for Tua, right? You know, coming from an intense guy like Brian Flores, and there was you know all the talk of getting another quarterback replacing it. And now you got a guy that's just always calm and it's always the same, and it's you know an offense that I think really fits and suits Tua. He did look good. He didn't have to make you know we didn't see anything pushed down the field, but Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle, they weren't out there. But, you know, the movement, the run game, the play action, this is all going to be a part of what this this guy does. And, you know, again, it looked like he knew where he wanted to go with the football. This is, I think, one of the plays we're looking at where you got to number three, as Mike McDaniel was talking about. You know, on the run, moving the ball that way looks good. I mean, damn, this is what I really want to say. The Dolphins look so damn good. The only question we got about the Dolphins is the O-line a little bit. The right tackle, Austin Jackson. But holy crap. I mean, they, they look like that on the defensive side of the ball, which was awesome. The offensive side of the ball, they got running backs that all look impressive. They got a few young receivers. You know, the Gasicki's a good tight end. And we didn't even see Tyreek and Jalen Waddell. Uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, again, I don't think this is going to be MVP level type of play, but he's going to be a wheeler and a dealer. And it's going to be an offense that really is built around his skill set and I think makes the game you know, easy for him in a lot of ways, kind of like we've seen Shanahan with Jimmy Garoppolo in a lot of ways. And even though Mike McDaniel's delivery was so unique in comparison to what we're used to, the content wasn't all that much different. It's a lot of the same old stuff you hear when a coach assesses what right. a quarterback does in a preseason game. And I say that, Chris, because there was another topic you got into that I think is far more telling, not only about where Tool was – but where he could potentially be heading. Here is McDaniel talking about Tua getting out on the field hours before the game, working through his his progressions and his visualization and putting in maybe the kind of effort that in the first two years of his career he didn't have a listen. Man, that that says everything. That that's why that's why his teammates are confident in him. That's why I'm confident in him. And that's why his coaching staff is because that is something that you know he he has done on his own with with like a li- with guidance from you know his quarterback coach, Coach Bevel. But he's you, you can feel that every day that he is. You know, Coach Bill has explained to him all sorts of stories of the players he's worked with um, coming in here this this year. That wasn't something that I'd heard to a that, that wasn't really his mo. Um, j- just to go ahead and you know go outside the framework of whatever the schedule is and and really invest all in on on your craft. He is doing that every single day, um, and it, and it really shows in his play. Um, that that is not that doesn't surprise me. The key in that is it wasn't his mo before. That's right. That he wasn't doing this hours before kickoff. That he wasn't there early, fully committed to thinking about everything he needed to do, working through what his plays were going to be. He's doing it all ahead of time. He's he's look. This this is good. It's better than doing nothing. I don't know how much better it makes you, but it shows a level of commitment. He's got his play sheet there. He's doing it all and. 
That that's what we want to see from the guys who become the best of the best. It's it's a requirement. It's mandatory. You don't have a chance of being the best of the best if you're not putting in that kind of effort. So that's that makes me say, all right, what we saw the first two years of his career, set that aside. This is a new Tua, and let's see what he does with this kind of approach in this offense, with this mindset. And, and I think it's good news. Tua and on will be happy with us today. They should be happy with us today because we see tangible growth. Yeah. Let's see what it translates into. Yeah, that's right. But, but it is. It's positive. And, and, again, it does seem like he's all in, and he's approaching his craft a little differently. And I think there's been, you know, there's a lot of great quarterbacks that, that are doing right, you know, that right there. The Drew Brees of the world, you know, Steve Young used to be like that back in the day with the 49ers. You know, they all do it their own ways. I don't know if they always go out in the practice field and do that. That might be in the tunnel of the stadium. But either way, it, it's positive. And, you know, having a, a script, which I'm sure that was the first 10 or whatever, you know, gives you a little, okay, okay, so you can kind of play the game before the game starts a little to give you, you know, early confidence in the game. You know, and, and I, he's smart. I know that. He moves around well. He's got some different releases that are nice. He does have anticipation and accuracy. Again, I, it, all that I don't worry about. I worry about, okay, now it's the part of the game where they, 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 the defense has settled in. They're on to some of the tricks of the offense. Now you got to make some throws and some plays in the pocket. You know, you're in Buffalo. There's a 30-mile-per-hour wind blowing in your face, and it's, a little, it's, spitting, it's spitting snow and sleet. Can you throw it? Can you not drop the ball as you're just trying to throw it? You know, can you push it through those elements? You know, we saw that in Tennessee last year. That, to me, is the thing I need to see. But either way, this is a good start, and the Dolphins are one of those teams, Mike, that you just look at and you go, you know, great Scots. They got just studs everywhere. They really do, and I'm excited to see them when, when things, things start for real here in, in, you know, 20 days. I think the saying's great Scott, not great Scott. Yeah, Scotch, Scots, whatever. Who cares? Great you know? Scotch. <laughs> great Scotch. <laughs> great Scotch. Scotch free. Here's here's <laughs> Doug Peterson, the first year coach of the Jaguars, talking about his second year quarterback, first overall pick in twenty twenty one, Trevor Lawrence. In, in Trevor's case, we we just gotta get him to kind of calm down early in the football game and settle in. There were some there were some throws that were missed that I know he would want back and and uh, we've seen him make those throws in practice, so we know he's capable of doing it. Uh, it's just a matter of just kind of taking a deep breath as he as he starts the game and and uh, and settle in. But those are those are all things that we continue to work on. You know, we got a couple weeks left here in camp, and and uh, we'll try to get better. Hey, look, whatever they do this year, it's better than last year because they have an actual adult football coach suited to be an NFL coach. So it can't be anything close to what it was last year. This is just the development of Trevor Lawrence a year after it should have really begun. And, Chris, you've seen good things from him. I was watching some of the Steelers-Jaguars game over the weekend. He made some good throws. He's working in the right direction. Uh, it's just it's going to take some time because last year wasn't really a red shirt year. It was a – I don't know what it was. But, it, you know, he's just got to forget about that and now take advantage of the real coaching he's getting and try to take his game to the next level. Yeah, that, that's right. Uh, the, the important thing is, is just how damn good he looks. I mean, again, the, the guy is an Adonis. You, you see that, the way he runs, the way he stands in the pocket, he is throwing the ball, you know, more crisply. Did he miss a few throws? No doubt about it. You know, week one, and, and again here in this week, when, when you watch back the film, does he lock on a receiver a little too long at times? Yes. You know, I thought he let, you know, there was there was a play or two to be had in the first game uh, or the first, you know, last week in his first game action where, you know, again, I just look at it and go, it's just reps. He's just got to keep playing here, you know, and, and then I think that is the big thing. Yeah, he's getting used to a new offense, a new system, a lot of new players that he's throwing the football to, and you know, not everybody's just going to be, oh, the coach called it. Here's the first guy I'm supposed to throw to. He's going to be open. You know, this isn't Clemson anymore, and he's adjusting to life like that as well where, yeah, got to be on the money all the time. But, damn, I, 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 I'm very encouraged with the way he looks and the way the Jaguars' offense looks around him. They got a lot of good things to, to be excited about there in Jacksonville. There's no question about that. I just don't know what to make of this Jaguars team because of the fact that the AFC is so top-heavy. Yeah, that's the problem, right. They got to win some games early, open some eyes, build some momentum. But but w whatever they do this year, 
that that hell they went through last year, there's got to be a way to use it to their advantage because I think some guys and, – and I think back to week 18 of last year, Peter King praising Trevor Lawrence for stepping up, leading the team to beat the Colts when the Colts were trying to punch a ticket to the playoffs and the Jaguars weren't playing for anything. That may have a ton of value carrying that over into this year, and maybe they can surprise some people. The Steelers fall into the category of teams that maybe will surprise people because they're foolishly being written off. We talked in the past about how the Steelers are 10-1 to 1 to win their division, the longest shot of the four teams in the AFC North. I think that's a mistake to write them off. And apparently it's a mistake to write off the possibility of Kenny Pickett being yeah, the starter is. come week one when they take on the Bengals in Cincinnati. Here's Mike Tomlin talking about the rookie's ability to deliver under pressure. You know, that's probably who he is. He, I know he did it next door. Um, he probably did it in high school. He probably did it in Little League. Um, some, some things people are born with. From uh, what you've seen from uh, Kenny over the last two preseason games, has that done anything to change um, where he sits on the depth chart in, in your current? We'll address depth chart-related things over the next couple of days as we zero in on our next opportunity. I don't make knee-jerk reactions or statements following the performance. That's fine, but... It's another example of Tomlin saying things now that he said previously as to what he was looking for. And Pickett is checking the boxes of what they were looking for when they drafted him. A guy who has that competitive fire. A guy who acts like he's been born to do this. It, it doesn't matter. And I saw the, the numbers, the air yards for the throws between him and Mitch Trubisky and Mason Rudolph. His air yards through two games are the lowest by far of the three quarterbacks. It doesn't matter. You're running the offense, you're distributing the football, and you're creating excitement, and that's undeniable. And if Mitchell Trubisky is the starter week one, he's going to be on a short leash, Chris. Definitely. I, I think there's going to there's be a lot of people in Pittsburgh clamoring to get Pickett under center. And you know that when you draft a guy who played at Pitt, when you make him your first overall pick in the year after Ben Roethlisberger has retired, you, you, you really are setting up a situation where there's going to be a demand. There's going to be an overwhelming push to get him on the field, and nothing that we've seen in two preseason games is going to change that. Nobody's like, oh, this kid needs, this kid needs, this kid needs to sit for a year. No one's saying that. They're saying he needs to play right now. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thoroughly impressed. I, I'm, I'm just say it right now. I mean, I, I was wrong with my quarterback rankings. I'm, I'm wrong. Kenny Pickett should have been one. Malik Wills is two. Matt Corral should have been three because I don't really like the way he's looked at all, and I know he got hurt. But uh, you know, screw the intended air yards and all of that. I mean, screw all of that crap. That doesn't mean anything. You know, last week he got in with the third team. He didn't have necessarily the studs to throw the ball down the field and create those mismatches. He's running the offense like you said. And then, really, if we go back to a, he had a great touchdown pass called back because of uh, offensive holding under pressure. The thing I'm most impressed by, and we saw a few plays in that highlight reel there, is he – he, he, yes, he knows where to go with the ball, but, man, is he awesome under pressure. You know, just understanding, wait, oh, here's an – I'm off. I got to fade away here. I got somebody about to hit me in the face. Let me just fade away and throw a ball with a little touch over the middle. Boom, first down. That's where I was impressed. I would The way it looks right now, I would go go with Kenny Pickett. He's, he's just go, Pittsburgh. Mike Tomlin will know how to manage it and all that. I only have one issue or one question, and it's not Kenny Pickett. Man, the Steelers' O-line ain't good. Man, it's not good. And that's <laughs> hey, what I, I worry that about him. Either, either the Jaguars are, are they are on an 85 they got some Bears studs. thing. Right. Yeah. Or the Steelers' offensive line is oh, pretty bad. Oh, my gosh. I, I mean, you know, to be fair to Mitchell Trubisky, I mean, the, the dam was collapsing on him, too. Uh, but Kenny Pickett, he had to deal with the same issues, and he made some plays. He really did. But I think that's where they got to figure out, can they protect their young quarterback early in the year? Do they want to throw him out there in Cincinnati, on the road, crowd noise, and just get him absolutely killed early on in the year? Or do they want to maybe wait for this O-line to get figured out and start playing a little bit better football? But that is certainly the big concern in Pittsburgh. I mean, left tackle 65, he, he might as well just, just played quarterback back there with Kenny Pickett. He was back there with him the whole game. It did not look good. Let's take a break. Injury updates from week two of the preseason when this Monday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. 
Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times says Tom Brady is indeed returning to the Bucks today. He may turn around and leave once he <laughs> recognizes that in addition to Ryan Jensen, who's been gone since early in camp with a knee injury, they've yet to fully diagnose because the swelling hasn't gone down. Tristan Wirfs is day-to-day with an oblique strain. Now Aaron Stinney out for the season with a torn ACL and MCL suffered in this weekend's preseason game at Tennessee. Third offensive lineman to get injured during training camp, and this one we definitely know is a season ender. Wirfs probably will be back sooner than later. Jensen will be back later than sooner. Stinney won't be back at all. And it's another blow to that middle of the offensive line with Stinney. That's the vulnerable spot for Tom Brady, Chris. It is. It's it's concerning. I mean, you know, it makes you Yeah, it's it's I worry about that. Certainly. I do. And you know, you look at their schedule and some of the defenses they gotta play early on in the year, and now they're gonna be, you know, relying on a unproven center. Maybe now a rookie, uh, you know, the Luke Gadecki, uh, Gadecki, who they drafted, was at the second or third round. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head. He's going to get thrown into the fire here. So, yeah, there's some issues, and issues that, yeah, quite frankly, are just they're more important with the Buccaneers than most teams. They, it's not Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert. We know it's an issue. There's no doubt. You look at any game they've lost the last few years, it's, it's boom. It, it doesn't. It's a team that can get pressure on Brady. Period. He's not going to get outside the pocket, and make plays that way. He's not necessarily going to stand in there and take a lot of shots either. So that's where it's like, whoa! It does make you think a little differently of them and and how they can you know kind of make this all work. They have a really damn good team. Brady is smart. I know he'll know how to get the ball out of his hands, but uh, I don't care what you say. It is a little concerning for a team that we look at as a, a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, absolutely. And you know. They got that game in Dallas coming up 20 days from now, and we saw how they moved Micah Parsons around last year. If there's a weakness up the middle, could we see Micah Parsons? I mean, whether as linebacker blitzing up the middle sure. or, hell, in certain circumstances, just haven't put his finger in the dirt. If, if they can't stop anybody up the middle, they ain't going to be able to stop him, that's for sure. Well, no, no. I, th- I think, you know, there's a lot of things there. You know, are they going to – is this group going to be experienced enough when it stunts and certain blitzes to pick up things the right way and communicate and pass guys off the right way? You know, that that's certainly something to, to watch out for here. But, yeah, big blow for a team that we know has been really good up there in that department here the last few years. They can overpower you in the run game, and they can create a wall for Brady to throw, and that's when he's dangerous. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's definitely something to watch here early on in the year when, you know, like we saw, Cowboys, Saints Week 2, you know, Green Bay, Kansas City, they, they got some studs on the defensive line, that's for sure. Speaking of the Saints, there's been quiet optimism that receiver Michael Thomas, who hasn't played much the last two seasons, suffered an ankle injury against the Bucks Week 1 in 2020 that he'll be good to go coach Dennis Allen says that Thomas is dealing with a hamstring injury he hasn't played in the preseason yet this year I mean we'll see you know with the hamstring though it's it's, and it's it's got to be tough for Thomas because he is champing at the bit to get back to play when you get the hamstring you just got to give it time to rest and recover or you're constantly going to be dealing with it's going to grab you're going to have setbacks Every time you try to open it up, that's when it's going to get you. And and uh, it's unfortunate because it was feeling like we were going to see him right out of the gates. Now, Chris, I think we just have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, hopefully it's it's precautionary, all right? Uh, hopefully it's just like, hey, it's it's tweaked a little bit or it's a little tight and whatever else. Because, yeah, I would like to see him, Jarvis Landry, Chris Olavi, who looked pretty good the other night, all together on the field. They, they can be, you know, dangerous group, an unforgotten or, or a forgotten dangerous group. But, you know, uh, I also like to point out, you did say champing at the bit. I think it's chomping just it to let you know. It is champing. No, it's champing. It's no, champing? champing? Yeah. What? It, it gets – it may be one of those things where – it has been said so incorrectly for so long that it's now What is champing? Acceptable. I don't even know what that is. It's – it's champing with your teeth. It's cha- it's I don't know. It's ready to go. Just look it up. Look it up. Okay. Look, Either way, it's one we'll of those that's stupid. It should be chomping. Look it up. It should be chomping. I know. Bit, well, uh, yeah. it's it's a situation where stupidity takes over what it actually is. Like irregardless. Like irregardless is a word. That's now a stupid. Because, but <laughs> well, okay. Uh, you mentioned Matt Corral earlier in the program. Yeah. The third round rookie quarterback of the. Carolina Panthers is out for the year with a Liz Frank injury in his foot. That happened the other night. It was P.J. Walker 
for the Panthers. Then Matt Corral, Walker had to come back because they weren't playing either Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold. And this hurts not because anyone expected him to play this year, but this was a great opportunity for him to be the third quarterback, practice, be around, get in it. Because after this year, who knows what direction they go. Mayfield's contract's up. Darnold's contract's up. Corral's got four years, three after this year. He could have been the guy next year and yeah. still could be, but it's going to be harder to do if he can't do anything physically this season. That's right. I mean, either way, they're going to, you know, if Baker and Sam aren't there, they're going to bring somebody else in. They're not going to be like, oh, here you go, Matt Corral. But, you know, as I said last segment, don't like the look at all. It, he's small. He's way too small. And that, that worries me. And it does not look like, you know, he's in the same stratosphere as Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett. So I might take one on the chin this year as far as my quarterback rankings. I'm not feeling too confident about that one. Unfortunate, you're right, because you figured he'd probably get some good amount of reps here in the preseason game number three, and they didn't protect him and all that. But just the look of it uh, was, was discouraging for me at least. And, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate that he's not going to get those reps. And a guy that was, you know, somewhat raw to begin with coming out of Ole Miss. And now you don't get to, like you say, be, become a little more seasoned to playing NFL quarterback. So, uh, stinks for him. That's, that's too bad. And, you know, we'll see where it goes for him as, as, the, as the injury gets healed up and going into next year. By the way, it is champing, not chomping. But chomping has come to replace champing because everybody says chomping. I just but it uh, yeah. technically and correctly is well, yeah. champing. You're too smart. Shut up. I don't even like you, okay? Why don't you do one let's of those take, bad closes to commercial or break here like you did last one? <laughs> we, we should just throw, <laughs> throw in a break on that. We'll give you a Deshaun Watson update when this Monday. Of, the Dobo Dobo do. Good job. We're champing at the bit. Shut up. <laughs> Four days ago, the NFL and Deshaun Watson worked out an 11-game suspension, $5 million fine, plus a requirement that he be evaluated and engage in counseling. Peter King reports in Football Morning in America that the counseling has already begun. And that's important because when we heard from Watson on Thursday, and Chris, obviously, since you don't work on Fridays, we haven't had a chance to discuss this. We had the written statement from Watson where he takes accountability for his decisions, then he speaks to reporters and he stands on his innocence that was alarming to many now as i understand it it's not all that uncommon for people who have yet to go through the evaluation and counseling to not yet understand why what they did was wrong the question is when deshaun watson gets to the other side of this process will he be saying the same thing or will he have seen the light i said that friday when Shereen Williams was on the show, if when he's back for his first media availability and Mary Kay Cabot of the Cleveland Plain Dealer says, hey, Deshaun, the last time we talked to you, you said you stand on your innocence. Do you still stand on your innocence? If he says, hell yes, what was gained? Nothing. So this process will go a long way toward getting him to pierce through all of the stuff the enablers around him have been saying. Rusty Harden, they're all lying. David Mulligetta, the, the judge, the judge was predisposed against him. Pay no attention to her ruling. The other agent and athletes first who said, well, what about Jeffrey Epstein? Why, aren't, why isn't there more uproar about that? I mean, it's just all this ridiculous noise that keeps Deshaun Watson from having his reckoning. Through counseling, he's either going to have it or he's not. And Chris, if he doesn't, he may not be back week 13 against the Texans. Yeah, I mean, I, hopefully. I mean, hopefully just for his own personal growth, he realizes. I, I, you know, again, it's... It's kind of disgusting, the defense and the people around. That's the problem, like you said. He's got enablers around him. Mulligetta's still sitting there trying to say, who's you know questionable human being altogether. He's a spiteful jerk. I'm just going to say it. I don't like him. Oh, hey, right. whoa. That was I don't a, like him. That, I don't, he, that he, just he, came you know out of nowhere. No, that's yeah, he's, not he's done that. As, as not, it's not cool, and it's not cool. You know, And he had to delete his tweet because it's just not. But it just shows you into their camp there. that it, it's just there's, there's a blindness towards the sensitivity of people. It's just, I don't know what else to say. And that's, it's, yeah, 68 different therapists at least and all that. Come on, you know? So, yes, he's had people just enabling him. And, yes, a deleted tweet and a guy that, you know, yes, I've seen spiteful behavior from this guy before. Um, so they're all been like, you know, obviously putting on Deshaun on the pedestal and been behind him and like, hey, you're not wrong and you're innocent and blah, blah, blah. So, 
that's where it just doesn't seem cool, and it honestly just adds to the hatred and backlash of the whole Watson camp even more. And hopefully he can see you know, the light as far as what he's done and how he's made so many people uncomfortable and really maybe ruin their lives to a degree in a lot of ways. So, um, you know, hopefully this counseling can help him. I, I need to say this to be fair. David Mulugeta is a very accomplished, successful I know agent. he is. He's still a young guy. He's written a first-person essay that we posted at PFT in the past. Now, so, so I, don't, I don't have any pre-existing bias against him. I, I liked him based upon what I knew of him before this. Now, during this process, I'm not real thrilled with the way he has conducted himself because he's been part of this machine of they're all lying. Why aren't you developing evidence as to why they're lying? Why aren't you more concerned about the things that are out there that are inconsistent and that would show that they're lying? And my position all along has been that's not for me to do. That's for you to do. If you've got a smoking gun, let's see it. That's what Rusty Harden needs yeah, to that's develop right. and show. Because he's going to have to show it to a jury at some point anyway. Show it to us now. Show it to the jury in the court of public opinion and let us come to the conclusion as to whether or not they are lying. Yeah. And when, when the NFL, and, and maybe their beef is with the NFL Players Association. When the union comes out the night before the Judge Robinson decision and says, we're prepared to accept whatever she does and we're not going to appeal it. And she issues a suspension that supposedly the NFLPA likes, now you're throwing dirt at her ruling and saying that she had her mind made up from the get-go and she's just parroting the NFL's narrative? That doesn't make sense. Well, and, it's not and cool. Look, and, you know, I know and, those aren't and, your views. I know I went hard. They're my views. Right, and I, I, I know that's some fine. other things, too, where, yeah, he's, he's jerky. Tell your dad I opinion. said hi. Sorry, yeah, exactly. He's jerky. So I'm just going to leave yeah. it at that. I know that's my views, and I'll take that on the chin if it comes back to me. No worries. And anytime I say the words, tell your dad I said hi, that's a reference to Jim Harbaugh when Chris interviewed him years ago and Jim didn't like one of the very reasonable questions that was posed by Chris. Right. The interview ended and Jim said, tell your dad I said hi. Yes, All exactly. right, let's, let's take a break. Preseason week two superlatives when PFT Live continues right after this. Make sure to tune into the Fantasy Football Happy Hour with Matthew Berry weekdays starting at 12 p.m. Eastern on Peacock. Matthew Berry will be joined by Jay Croucher to break down all things fantasy all season long. And if you miss it at 12, don't worry. You can catch it again at 4 p.m. Eastern right here on Peacock. Bring a beer at noon. You can have one beer with lunch. One beer is not going to leave you an easier reaction. One beer, a tall frosty mug overflowing with suds. Happy hour at noon. I'm... I'm ready to sign up for that, Chris. I don't know about you. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not good today. I got stuff to do. I got a podcast, and I can't drink on the job. But uh, it is – that's awesome, you know, for the fans out there. Nobody's better with fantasy football than, than Matthew Berry. And then, yeah, making some drafts, making some moves, doing things like that, drinking a beer sounds like a good time if you're not working too hard. Preseason week two superlatives. Chris, what do you have? What Twice is nice. Twice is nice. Twice will get you on the damn team. That's for sure. I'm going to go to Dallas with Cavante Turpin, right? The, the kick returner, a kick returner, punt returner. I mean, a guy that basically solidified his spot on the Cowboys roster this weekend, I think, with how do you not? put him on the team. Some guys just have a knack for being able to return a football in that special teams category and to go 98 yards to the house on a kickoff early in the game and then get a punt return that was 86 yards later. You know, that, that, that's pretty amazing. Those are the guys you look for. Who's that guy that we don't know about that's going to show up on the scene and do something special and make their way onto the 53 man roster and you do that right there, I just have a hard time thinking he won't now because of that ability to do that. I was watching a game, I think, last weekend, and every once in a while you see a guy who thinks that that schoolyard stuff is going to work at the NFL level, and it just doesn't because the level of athlete is so good, like the stop and start and retreat. and It worked for Kamonte Turpin. Yes. It works. Here's the punt return. It works. He goes back. He stops. He moves. He cuts. That's man among boys, cat and mouse stuff. And this guy had no shot in the NFL with anyone. It was the USFL that opened the door. He was the MVP of the USFL's 2022 season. That got him the opportunity in Dallas. 
it, it underscores the importance of having some sort of yeah. developmental league. And I know it's a zero-sum game, and the NFL is only going to do it if they can make money off of it. They don't care. We're still going to put 53 guys on the roster and 11 guys on the field. It's up to them to get to the point where they're ready to play. But, boy, sometimes you got a developmental league that gives a guy a chance and Turpin making the most of it. So that was a great one. That was on my list. Next one for me. I vaguely remember there was a movie 20-plus years ago called Romeo Must Die. My superlative is Romeo must catch because Romeo Dobbs has a bright future for the Packers if he can just hold on to the football. And it may be bright enough that he can still drop passes to the tune of two per game and still climb the depth chart yeah. because of the stuff that you can't teach, because of the stuff that is instinctive and innate and makes him one of the weapons to replace Devontae Adams, like the touchdown catch he had against the Saints. That was all athleticism. That was all, I'm just going to jump up and go get it. Right. It's either going to be a touchdown or an incompletion, but I'm going to jump up and go get it. They love what the guy can do. And Matt LaFleur, the coach of the Packers, basically said, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with the drops. That's right. The guy's too good to not deal with the drops. The drops will work their way out. The other stuff will not work its way in. I, I uh, agreed. You know, that's right. It, you, you, know, you, you can't teach a guy that can just blow by people or go up and get the ball and adjust the way he does. He's one of those where you, know, you watch preseason game one against the 49ers and you go, whoa, who the hell is this guy? 87's open all the time. And then you watch again and you go, whoa. So I'd have a hard time thinking he's not out there with Aaron Rodgers. And, yeah, he might have a drop or a mistake every now and then, but he's going to make more plays and mistakes, I think, at the end of the day. We Give me do- one more out of your bag. Okay. One you got mo- another one? Tyreek who? Tyreek who is the other one? Because, man, the Kansas City Chiefs, how do you not love what they're doing right now? Oh, we got all these stars. We got to protect them. Kansas City's going, screw you, NFL. We're playing the stars. We're coming out week one, ready to go. Why most of the league's going to be feeling their way in week one. Kansas City's going to be all systems go in the tough AFC. And, man, they look good on both sides of the ball. I mean, it's just cool to see what Andy Reid's doing, so i got to give him a lot of respect. And Mahomes, you know, a year away from that toe-foot injury, looks like the old Mahomes to me. He is throwing the ball beautifully, and he's moving beautifully. They're still here. They're not going anywhere, the Kansas City Chiefs. Week one, he had six completions to six different receivers in one drive. He did two drives on Saturday against Washington. Now, supposedly he was going to play the whole first half, but I think Andy Reid was just like, whoa, we're on fire. Let's get out of here. We're good. (laughs) Twelve completions to seven different guys, including a pair of touchdowns to Jody Fortson, a converted receiver who's now a tight end. Yeah, And it's one of those – where in the hell did this guy come from? Uh-huh. And and this is what it's going to be in Kansas City. When you have Patrick Mahomes for 15 or 20 years, when one guy goes away, there's going to be another, where in the hell did this guy come from to take his place? That's one of the benefits of having Patrick Mahomes. So Kelsey will be gone at some point. Jody Fortson may be the guy who takes over at that time. There'll be a Sky Moore or an MVS or somebody that makes them forget about Tyreek Hill. I think they made the right call, Chris, because, look, Tyreek Hill didn't, didn't do it publicly until he had his podcast, and then he, then he did it publicly. He was a pain in the butt for them last year. He right. wanted the ball more. Right. They want to spread it around, and it's working so far. Let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Monday edition of PFT Live right after this. Oh, the Malik Willis show continues for the Tennessee Titans. Just time, but well, man, look at that! Oh boy, hard to keep, hard to keep that on the bench for the Tennessee Titans, Chris. Yeah, the guy. I mean, you, you know, I, I was going to use the superlative yes coach because he, you know, wants him to stay in the pocket. I love the way Malik Willis looks. I mean, first off, this is stuff you can't teach. This is Mahomes-ish, Josh Allen-ish. You know, his ability, his natural running ability, is special. You know, is he perfect? No, but you could see growth from week one to week two. You could tell that Vrabel's been in his ear, stay in the damn pocket and make the throw. And to the fact where there was one or two plays, Mike, that I was even telling you in the break where I was like, no, no, this is one you want to run. But he's a yes coach. I'm going to listen, stay in the pocket. Man, it's just, you know, he, he, they got, I think they got something in Tennessee. He just hopefully he can continue to grow and, and learn the offense and understand how to play the position from within the pocket. Ryan Tannehill was drafted the same year as Russell Wilson and Kirk Cousins. He is by no means getting close to the end of the road. You do have to wonder 
whether or not the road is going to end for him in Tennessee, and he's going to be like an Alex Smith who gets displaced to another team. I can see that. We talked about this last week. How far can this guy take me? Yeah. He's only taken me to here, and he can't take me any farther, and I think last year was very telling. One seed, three interceptions, lost a game they should have won. They overpowered the Bengals' offensive line. They had nine sacks of Joe Burrow. The Titans should have won that game, and they could easily tell themselves, we could have won the Super Bowl if we'd have beaten the Cincinnati Bengals. We could have gotten there, and we could have won it. And now I think they want to see if Malik Willis is the guy that can take them to the next level. It's too hard to just think, hey, we're going to play perfect offense and protect the quarterback all the time and just win games like that. You need a guy that can make some plays out of the realm of the the playbook. Willis looks like he has the ability to do that, like a Mahomes or Allen. and I mean, Josh Allen, you know, Whirly Bird, 45-yard touchdown. Oh, big deal. I'm back. It's amazing, these guys. That's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow morning. Have a great Monday. See ya.